Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with a priest you might know of from the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, Father Chris Alar. And during the pandemic, they've been doing lots of different teaching videos on Saturdays through their public Facebook page. So maybe you've been able to tune in and listen to him on that. I want to talk to him today about the topic of suicide because he wrote a book last year called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and for You. He co-authored the book with another Marian brother, Jason Lewis. And I'm so grateful that he's agreed to speak with us because I know many people that suicide has touched their family and their life, and sometimes they have lots of questions. And I hope that Father Chris will be able to shed some light on how there truly is hope for them and for their family. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Father Chris. Uh, Thank you, Father Edward. We appreciate it. God bless you and your listeners. Well, thanks so much for your willingness to have this conversation. And This is going to come out right before All Souls Day. And as we move into that month of All Souls, the month of November, that's a time in which lots of people remember their deceased loved ones. And for some of those families, they're going to the grave of a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad who may have taken their own life. I discerned with the Marians for about a year and then decided to go Mm -hmm. the diocesan route. But one of the things that I learned about your order, not only are you deeply devoted to Mary and are the promoters of the divine mercy message, but there's another aspect of your mission, and that's for praying for the poor souls in purgatory. Could you just tell us why Mm -hmm. that is? That's one of our three founding charisms. um, As a religious community usually has a founding charism which is the work that they do or the mission they promote. Um, Ours was devotion to the mystery of the Immaculate Conception, not just Mary's Immaculate Conception, but really the mystery of it within the Trinity. And the second is the devotion to the Holy Souls in Purgatory. Our founder had found uh, uh, or had visions of the suffering of the souls um, and realized that only our prayers and suffrages can um, aid them and their third a charism, founding charism, is to assist, like you, parish priests. Um, and we kind of put all those under those charisms under the apostolate umbrella of divine mercy. And you mentioned uh, Mary and divine mercy. What's unique and the reason that I chose the Marians, uh, kind of like I'm sure the reason you discern them at a point before finding your call to the diocese, is because the Marian fathers are unique in that we... Uh, the, the only community that I know of that um, the two spiritual weapons, 100% of the focus is Mary and Divine Mercy, because Mary's greatest gift of mercy, uh, or excuse me, mankind's greatest gift of mercy, um, ever bestowed to a creature um, in the sense of, um, you know, the redemption was the greatest act for us, but given to a creature particularly was Mary's Immaculate Conception. So um, it makes sense for us to be uh, Divine Mercy Priests, even though our title is Immaculate Conception. So we find that u- unique connection. And you wrote a book about suicide. And a long time ago, our church believed that suicide was a mortal sin and that a lot of people, I think, mm-hmm. still struggle with that and wonder if that's still the reality. And they have those questions about their family members who have uh, taken their own life. 
What does the church today say about suicide? And maybe also, is there anything of the divine mercy message of Jesus speaking to Faustina that he can offer consoling words to us through St. Faustina? Well, absolutely. In fact, a lot of confusion starts with people think that the church just goes and changes her teaching all the time. And that's not the case. As you know, we, we have dogmatic, what is called dogma, which is revealed directly from God through Scripture um, and sacred tradition, capital T. Um, and teaching on suicide of the eternal fate has never been uh, 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 teaching such as dogmatic that cannot change. Um, the, 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 the practice regarding uh, suicide has been, or excuse me, the, um, the approach to suicide has been more along discipline, uh, not even so much doctrine. Um, the discipline of the church has been years ago uh, that there was funerals that were denied for those who had taken their own life under the belief that there was despair, that uh, the person had no time to repent. And um, that's an understandable position. So I don't think um, we should criticize our church, but as the church develops, as you know, through, through history, the Church learns and uh, develops her practice and discipline. And so regarding suicide, it was interesting because new revelation has come out, and it does fall in line now with real Church teaching. Um, you can go to, for instance, Catechism 2282 that says um, there can be mitigating circumstances, um, mental illness, um, grave fear or anxiety, um, these can all be mitigating circumstances to one taking their own life. Because as we know, the only way a soul is lost is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. Now, here's what's interesting. The first part to take into consideration is, is this sin mortal? And the answer is, it very well may be. Because a sin, in order to be mortal, has to have the three conditions. One, it has to be grave nature. Well, suicide, nobody would argue, is very grave nature. Two, it has to have, you have to have knowledge that it's a sin, and I think most people would acknowledge that, that they would know, or excuse me, would admit they knew that suicide is a sin. But it's that third condition um, that we read in our church teaching, um, having complete free will. And the story I wrote in the book is about my grandmother. And my grandmother, unfortunately, took her life on Father's Day, 1993, when I was home from college. And um, that was a traumatic experience for our family. But I didn't know for 10 years that um, my grandma had an, a chance to still be saved. And the reason was is because she did not, in my experience with her, have complete free will. She suffered so badly um, from um, every kind of emotional, physical, and spiritual pain, torture, torment. And um, the Catechism 2282 says these are mitigating circumstances. We even maybe believe that this affected her mental capacity because people wouldn't necessarily choose 
um, to do something like taking their own life if they were completely um, emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually completely in tune with um, healthy, um, you know, healthy level of of uh, um, you know of of existence. It, 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 there's a there's a there's a problem there in one of those factors. And my grandma could not handle the physical pain anymore. Her body was ravaged and just racked with arthritis and severe physical and emotional pain. Well, she made the, the wrong decision. Um, nobody's going to question that. She, you know, suicide is a permanent response to temporary problems. And people say, Father, these problems aren't temporary. Well, we mean in an earthly sense. Um, and, and so we don't believe, I don't believe she had free will, which is, the question in the answer, yes. Why? Because I'm 83, which changed my life, and I have committed to memory because it changed my life. And it says, we should not despair of the eternal salvation of those who have taken their own life. In ways known to God alone, he can provide them the opportunity for solitary repentance. Wow. And so I'm, I know I'm answering long here, Father Looney, but I'm going to say this. You asked about St. Faustina. I tell you where the divine mercy comes in here. Because what changed my life was that catechism passage saying that we shouldn't despair to someone who's taken their own life because ways known to God alone, he can provide the opportunity to repent I remember first hearing that from a priest in North Carolina and saying, I don't buy it. He's like, it's in the catechism. I was like, really? He's like, here it is. I was like, whoa. And then the sealer of the dealer, he put the diary of St. Faustina in front of me. And I'm like, never heard of St. Faustina. This was the year 2003. And he says, you ever hear of St. Faustina? I said, no, who is she? He says, well, you're going to learn. Here's her diary. And he says in paragraph 1486, he says, Jesus says he comes to the soul three times at the moment of death and offers them the opportunity to repent. And I said, whoa, that matches the catechism. In ways known to God alone, he offers them the opportunity to repent. I was like, you mean, this is what Jesus told this nun? He said, yes, that he comes to the soul three times and gives them the opportunity to repent. And then, paragraph 1698 shows God's mercy beautifully. In that passage, God says, when it looks like all hope is lost. So when my father found my grandmother in a lifeless state, it looked like all hope was lost. She took her life, it looked like she despaired. And in paragraph 1698, Jesus says, when it looks like all hope is lost, it is not so. A ray of final, powerful grace that I give to the soul, that if the soul is willing and able to accept it, they receive at that moment his final grace, which is enough for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. It's an incredible match between Faustina and and the catechism, and full of mercy. <laughs> beautifully, beautifully written. And what I'm hearing there is that the mercy of God is beyond understanding, 
and that maybe we can't limit God's mercy because we don't understand it. And so if these are the words that Jesus is speaking to Faustina, and he's revealing this to her, and Faustina is the secretary of divine mercy, is sharing that with us, well, then that's providing us that much-needed hope, especially when we are dealing with grief or mourning, when we are dealing with a situation just like this. Absolutely. And in fact, you make a great point, Father Looney. Not only is God outside of our imagination or our, our fathom, we can't even fathom how much his mercy is. His mercy is even outside of time. And and this was the one where we had to get theologians involved. When Brother Jason and I wrote the book, we consulted Father Spitzer and Cardinal Maffi and uh, Peter Kreeft and um, uh, uh, um, Jimmy Aiken and all these great theologians to say, here's a concept we want to make sure we are correct on. Does it fall into speculative theology? Can we say this claim? And they're like, okay, what, what exactly are you, what premise are you trying, or thesis are you trying to show? And we said, okay, this priest that I referenced in North Carolina, when I went to him, uh, I was doing a general confession. And um, at that time, it was the year 2003. My grandma had died 10 years earlier. And I had been carrying a burden for 10 years that my grandma was in hell. That's what the church always taught, I thought. And um, it carried weight on my heavy on my shoulders because at the time of my grandmother's death, I don't even remember praying for her. Um, I was in some kind of just a bad state of mind. And um, it, it, it made me feel guilty that I didn't um, pray for her at the time of her death. Well, anyway, I confess that in a general confession. Um, um, so I, I confess this in the general confession. And he said, I want you to go home tonight and pray the chaplet of divine mercy for the salvation of your grandmother's soul. And I said, well, you must have not heard me right. She died 10 years ago. He goes, I, I heard you go home tonight and pray this out for the salvation of your grandmother's soul. And I said, well, you mean to get out of purgatory if she made it that far? He said, right now you can still aid her. I'm like, what are you talking about? Father, my grandma died 10 years ago. She's either in heaven, I hope, or hell, I hope not. Um, or maybe I could help her a little bit sometime in purgatory. He said, listen, God is outside of time. God's mercy is so infinite. Don't limit it. And I said, what do you mean? He says, listen, God is omnipotent and omniscient. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he's omniscient. He knows every prayer you will ever make in your whole life. And he's omnipotent. He has the power to apply those graces anywhere past, present, or future. I said, whoa, wait a minute. He said, God can use those graces at the moment of your death. Now, I was confused because I said, well, wait a minute. You're telling me I can get somebody out of hell? He's like, absolutely not. That's not what we're talking about here. I said, well, you mean I can change the fact I can pray that World War II never happened? He said, absolutely not. That's not what we're talking about here. God in ways, and Jimmy Aiken wrote an incredible article about this that was so amazing we put in the book that um, how God, your prayers can transcend time. And he said, Jimmy Aiken wrote extensively about this. Then I had a conversation with Peter Kreeft, and Peter Kreeft told a story that was amazing about his own daughter 
um, that prayers that they felt happened way after helped her with a brain tumor. And so he said, absolutely, you can teach this. And so we got even more confirmation from Padre Pio. And Padre Pio, there's a, we found a documented story that has um, documentation from the Franciscans that Padre Pio was praying um, at his doctor's, uh, uh, you know, uh, his, um, his family doctor, and the doctor noticed that he was praying. And the doctor said, what are you praying for? And Padre Pio said, the conversion and happy death of my grandfather. And the doctor said, well, I knew your grandfather. He died 20 years ago. And Padre Pio said, I know, but God knew 20 years ago that I'd be making this prayer tonight, and he can apply those graces back to the moment of my grandfather's death to be able to give him grace. Now, I can't say yes for my grandfather. He has to accept God's grace, but my prayers can help. And I was like, whoa. And then the priest told me, Mary said at Fatima, many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray for them. And so what we are talking about is an actual way that our grace, the grace from our prayers, can actually help people at the moment of, no, they died years ago. And this was a concept I had never heard before, and it made absolutely, started to at least, make perfect sense. And um, for me, it was a life-changing, it was a life-changing event um, to have something like that be brought to us, um, you know, to the, that our prayers are that powerful, not because they come from us, but the grace doesn't come from us, but the grace comes from God, but he can use us to assist people even at the moment of their judgment with graces that we make from prayers years in the future or in the past. What a beautiful concept. Now, that's very interesting because I've actually taught this. I've said that very same thing, kind of, that God is outside oh, of time. Wow. So I've been teaching this for a while, too, and preaching on it. So I'm great to hear that I'm not a heretic by saying that. No. And, um, in, fact, in, our, in fact, in our book and the very last section, the last 14 pages, take a look because we put that in the back for anybody who is skeptical that you can hold this position and we laid that whole section with a theological points from theologians and a church documents. And I'm so glad that you've taught it, Father, because I'll give one last example, if I may. Um, what really sealed the deal for us was the funeral rites of the Catholic Church, the Order of Christian Funerals. If you turn into that rite, this is what's fascinating. A number 44 for the prayers of the dead, for the dead, there is a prayer for one who died by suicide. Now, if somebody died by suicide, they're not going to have the funeral within the next 10 minutes of death. Obviously, the funeral happens four days, five days, six days, a week later after the death. Now, our faith teaches that your particular judgment happens immediately upon death. So as we die in earthly terms, um, our particular judgment happens immediately. So, time, say the minutes following your official death, when the soul separates from the body, not when the you know not when the vital signs stop, but when the soul separates from the body, we are judged. Now, if that's the case, listen to the funeral rite of the Catholic Church. 
for those who have died by suicide. God, lover of souls, you hold dear what you have made and spear all things, for they are yours. Look gently upon your servant and by the blood of the cross, forgive him or her his sins and failings. Now, here's the point. How could we be praying a week later for God to forgive those sins? We're not saying relieve the punishment, which is purgatory. Okay, so if you're praying for the relieving of punishment, that's different. That's purgatory. We are actually praying in this right to forgive their sins. Well, that is determined at judgment. Have you been forgiven of your sins or not? And your eternal fate is given at your particular judgment. So this funeral rite is basically saying we're begging God a week later. We could be 10 days later praying for God to forgive their sins. That prayer is absolutely meaningless unless God views those prayers as outside of time. Because your prayer 10 days later is meaningless if they've already been judged and God does not have the omnipotence and the omniscience to know you're going to make that prayer to apply it to them. It's a fascinating concept, and we got the imprimatur. We had theologians look at this. It, 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 this was a fascinating concept that that's how merciful God is, that even though you didn't pray for somebody 10 years ago, it's not too late. And what a beautiful, beautiful part of our faith. Well, theologically, I think it comes down to, and this is how I've argued for this in the past, was because of the prayer, the opening prayer, the collect for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Oh, God, you who foresaw the merits of the cross and applied them <laughs> yes. to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the very moment of her conception. So, God, in that moment of the creation of Mary and the womb of St. Anne, already foresaw the work of Jesus <laughs> on the cross and applied that mercy even before that action yeah. happened. So now we're looking at it and saying, well, we're praying afterwards, but we're saying, God, look at this now in this afterwards moment, but apply the blood of Jesus to this person as I'm praying. It's amazing. And, you know, we use that example in the book. I'm glad that we are on the same page on that, because I always ask the question in my talks, how was Mary immaculately conceived? And the answer is by the merits of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. Mary was conceived 48 years before the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how could she receive those merits if God wasn't able to apply them almost any direction, past, present, or future. And that's the beautiful, beautiful concept of divine mercy. Now, I'm wondering, this priest that you went to confession to in North Carolina, is he still alive? And have you shared with him how profound of an insight that was that he gave to yeah, you back it, then? Yeah, it was, a, it was a concept that changed my life, and in fact is why I'm a priest today. I sat there in utter awe, in disbelief that we have a God so merciful, so loving, so kind, that he could even allow me to have been a knucklehead 10 years earlier, not even pray for my grandmother, carry that guilt, and then finally, 10 years later, come to the grace and realization that my prayers actually still can help her. 
fascinating. And um, and when I said to him, I said, Father, this is a game changer. I mean, it, God's that merciful. He says, never limit the mercy of God. And um, I I have one other quick story to tell you. I was um, I was at a parish in Silver Springs, Maryland. Um, you know, not uh, not long uh, out, the doubt about God's grace and mercy being this possible. And the doubt from the evil one was, you can't teach this because God's mercy can't work backwards in time. It can't. It just can't. It's impossible. And so I started to doubt, and I came to the conclusion I was not going to teach this anymore. The evil one had gotten to my pride of thinking, I don't want to be accused of being heretical, and I can't teach this. This is before I wrote the book. Well, anyway, uh, just a quick story how God works. <laughs> I was at the rectory of a parish at St. Andrews in Silver Spring, Maryland, and it was the very same day that I came to that conclusion that God answered my prayer, because I basically said, Lord, if this is true, and you really want me to teach it, you're going to have to show me. And I wasn't challenging God. He knew my heart. I was just, I wanted to be sure, and I had doubts, and I didn't want to be wrong and, and misrepresent God's God's true um, gift in the church. Well, anyway, I'm going back to the church to say uh, the final night of the mission, and I was going to tell the story, but I came to the conclusion I was not going to tell it because I just had doubts. God's mercy can't, can't help my, my grandma anymore. It's too late. And I'm ordained, and I'm having these doubts. And um, this woman is in a parking lot in her coming out of her car. And she looks at me and she says, are you Father Joseph? And I said, well, that's a title I have at the Marion Hopper Center, but um, my name is Father Chris. And she says, Father, I have to talk to you. And I said, well, um, I said, I'm running late for the mission, but yes, uh, let's talk. And she goes, Father are you the one who made that CD about your grandmother, that your grandmother took her life and that priest taught you that you could pray even now to help your grandmother because the graces are that great and God can apply them anytime? I said, yes. And she thought, I have to tell you this story. I listened to your CD and she said, I started to pray the chaplet of divine mercy. My uncle died of suicide four years ago. And I, just like you, I didn't pray for him. Just like you, I thought he went to hell. My story is very similar. So I said, okay, well, um, you know, God bless you. You can pray this chaplet. And I thought she was done. She said, no, Father, wait. She says, I started to pray that chaplet. Then I went to confession to a Franciscan there in the D.C. area who's kind of known to be a reader of souls and um, kind of a mystic. Um, he has a very strong reputation of holiness. And she said, I went to him for confession. She said, I confess my sins. I never mentioned a single thing about my uncle. And she said, I finished the confession. I'm getting up from the kneeler. And he says, by the way, I want you to know that your chaplets worked. And she goes, excuse me, Father? And he goes, you had a uncle who died by suicide. Is that correct? She's like, oh my goodness, Father. She says, I did not tell you that. Do you know me? And he, she, he goes, no, I, I don't know you, but did you have an uncle who died by suicide? 
And she said, yes. And she started crying. And he said, your chaplets worked. And she says, Father, what do you mean? And he said, you've been praying the chaplets for his salvation. She said, yes. And he said, well, I want you to know that he's now in heaven. And the woman said, Father, how do you know that? And he said, I just saw it. And she said her whole life changed. Because how did this priest know that she had an uncle and that he died by suicide and that she was praying the chaplet? And I took that as an extreme confirmation that God had given to me through her that this God's grace is that great. God's mercy is that great. And that was just, to me, another confirmation that never, ever limit the mercy of God. That's how beautiful it is. That is very beautiful, and a confirmation, and God at work, and a tremendous story. And as we've been talking now for the last few minutes about this, I think that really tells us how there is hope for them and for you, which is the subtitle of your book, After Suicide. Now, I know several families from my own parishes that have suffered the loss of someone by suicide. I remember um, I was just a newly ordained priest, and there were a few kids, teenagers, that took their own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up going to one of the funerals at a Lutheran church, and I was kind of off-put by the homily, to be completely honest, that day. It it very Mm -hmm. wasn't merciful. It didn't provide much hope like we have here today. And even when I was Mm -hmm. in seminary, I was very touched, not touched, but troubled maybe. There was a rash of suicides going on, and I didn't even know one of the people, but it was a girl that went to the high school that I went to, never met her, but... Took took her life, and mm-hmm. and that was just a, a profound moment of saying, like, this is something I need to pray for. I need to pray for mm-hmm. these souls and to entrust them to the mercy of God. And I guess as we know people who have experienced this in their life, what would you say to someone who's going through that right now to encourage them mm-hmm. um, and to help them in their grief and their mourning? And it goes back, as you said, Father Looney, to the subtitle of the book, There's Hope for Them, meaning those who have taken their own life, and for you, meaning those left behind. Um, To finish on the first concept, the hope for them, the hope that we just described here in the first part of this, or uh, that we just talked about here in the the interview, is the fact that God's mercy is so great that this soul can still be saved. And, you know, as long as they accept that grace, your prayers are not automatically going to save that soul, but your prayers can be showered upon them at the moment of their judgment to be able to say yes to God when ordinarily they may not have been able. You know, my grandmother wasn't practicing her faith real strong. You know, the problem, one thing I should add before I go on to helping those who are left behind, is back to those who have died. The priest made the point that, listen, you need to pray hard for your grandma. This is a serious sin. And do you know if she had final um, sacraments? I said, I don't know. And he said, remember, the problem is your grandma may not recognize Christ when he comes because if she's not practicing or she's rejected God in any way, she's put a blinder up, um, and, 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 and that's a very serious problem. So you've got to pray that your prayers will be showered upon her, even years later, that your prayers will be showered upon her to help her lift that veil, see God for who he is, and 
her will says yes, not yours, but her will, and then has the grace through prayers to be able to say yes to God. That's why there's hope for them. Now, to answer your question about hope for you, how do we know that this person who has suffered the loss of a daughter or son or brother, sister, or father, mother, and that is the hardest part, trying to explain how do you get through the next day. We featured a beautiful lady named Sammy Wood who lost her teenage daughter, um, and she said a great line. She said, you'll never get over it, but you can get through it. And that always stuck with me. So I asked her, I said, how did you get through it? And she said, the only way is with God's grace. And you know, the 12-step programs, like Alcoholics Anonymous and others, they won't come out necessarily and always advertise that it's God that is going to get you through it. But when you read the principles, it's clear that you're relating, <clears throat> you're relating to the grace of God. And this is what we did in our book. We, we narrowed down basically a 12-step program to three. If you can keep in mind three principles that you practice daily, you will get through this. can't get over it, but you can get through it. Um, one, you have to recognize that you are powerless over your situation. Um, this comes right from the same type of 12-step like Alcoholics Anonymous. We have to admit we're powerless. We can't change it. You know, the, the woulda, coulda, shouldas, those are what really eat people alive. You know, if I just would have come home after work instead of, you know, going um, with my friend out to dinner, I would have been home in time to stop this. Um, no, please. When somebody is set to take their own life, you can't, you, you, they've made that decision and don't beat yourself up. You have to admit you're powerless. You couldn't have changed it. Two, you <clears throat> trust that Jesus, the divine mercy, can restore your life to a manageability, to that, that you have to trust. Trust is the belief that, that God can restore my life. They'll never be fully the same, but it can be normalized with the gift of grace. And so we explain in detail how you, what you do with that step. And then third, you then entrust yourself, your will, your loved one to the mercy of God, because trust is the belief. Entrust is the action of now putting yourself in God's hands and saying, listen, you got to take this one. This one's beyond my pay grade. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't fix this. I can't get through another day. God, you have to help me. And that's the only way that's going to help people because right now it's such a prevalent problem. Statistically, suicides are on the rise again, especially after COVID. You know, uh, Father, now in the world today, more people die every year. And this was before COVID. More people die every year in the world by suicide than all of the wars or homicides combined. Oh, wow. So you can take all the wars and homicides combined in the world, and more people take their own life every year than die by that. It's crazy, and this is the reality that we're facing. Wow, that is... That is the reality, and it gives us a lot to pray for, to pray for mental health, to pray for people that do struggle, 
uh, to really ask for mm-hmm. God's grace to go ahead of them and be with them um, so that that will never take place, that, that they won't resort to that. As we move into the month of November, uh, the month of the Holy Souls, of course, there's the indulgence that you can gain for the Holy Souls mm-hmm. by visiting cemeteries for the first eight yes. days of November. Do you have any Correct. practices or recommendations of what people should do during the month of November to honor the Holy Souls? Absolutely. In fact, um, <clears throat> the tradition goes back, and I'll be doing a talk on this uh, for anybody who would like to, to tune in on Halloween, uh, October 31st, which is All Hallows' Eve, and I actually include that in my talk about the tradition. It was actually a Christian feast that has been secularized, but um, that leads to All Hallows' Eve, which is All Saints' Day, followed, and that's where we honor those who are in heaven, and then followed by All Souls' Day, which is honoring those who have yet still to be purified. So what we do here as Marians is we have on that day, All Souls Day, kind of treated as like a, um, you know, a, a three-day, um, you know, um, like a, a mini triduum, if you will, but to, in honor of the the souls. Um, and um, this is absolutely an imperative thing. In fact, it's a day of obligation. All, you know, um, November 1st is actually a day of obligation in the Church, All Saints Day. And so the tradition that we have, um, and every country is different. You know, Poland has theirs, Czechoslovakia has theirs, but here at the Marian Fathers, um, we do a special day of prayer uh, and recognition and penance uh, on the evening before for those souls that may yet be purified, and that consists of prayers at the graveyard especially, which is beautifully because that's, as you mentioned, one of the things this church gives a plenary indulgence for, which is the remission of all temporal punishment due to sins already confessed. And so please get to confession, um, confess your sins, um, and uh, that's one of the conditions, and then you can offer up a plenary indulgence for yourself or a deceased with the normal conditions of receiving Holy Communion, um, which you try to do as close to the Indulgence Act as you can. Two, you receive, or excuse me, you go to confession, Church used to teach eight days before or after, but now since the Jubilee year 2000, the Church teaches about 20 days. So you can go within 20 days uh, to confession for your indulgence, which basically um, you could do before or you could do after if you're in a state of grace. Third, pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, which normally could be done with an Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory Be. And then the fourth condition is a little hard, but no attachment to sin, even venial. And so we try to tell people, just do your best on that one. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Father, for joining me today and talking about after suicide. There's hope for them and for you. I know that this is a conversation that some people really need to hear and to really help them as they go through their grieving process. But before I let you go, Father, one of the things I'd like to do is just ask you a series of rapid-fire Marian questions to really, you know, you're a priest of the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. You love the Blessed Mother very much. And so just to show how you, as an individual, love the Blessed Virgin Mary. Absolutely. The first question is, your favorite title for the Blessed Mother? Well, it's, I have to profess, and I do believe this, it's Our Lady of Mercy, 
which is a feast day that we celebrate here, a tradition in our community. But my heart's attached to Our Lady of Victory, and the reason why is because the absolute stunning improbability of the saving of Christendom at Lepanto uh, when, when the uh, Holy League prayed the rosary and were spared, and not only spared, but uh, had victory over uh, uh, Islam and the attack on Christianity. And also because when I was in high school, um, I played football, and my football coach used to always yell as to finish our prayer, Our Lady of Victory, and we'd all yell, pray for us. I had no idea what that meant, but I, I loved it. <laughs> There's a title you've been invoking for a long time then. How about a favorite Marian That's sacramental, right. one that you might wear or carry with you? Yeah, I we we have a uh, brown scapular tradition and actually a blue scapular tradition here at the Marian Fathers. Um, we have Confraternity of the Immaculate Conception, which enrolls people into the blue scapular. If you are unfamiliar with that, please look that up. We have it online, and you can see the amazing graces given through the blue scapular. There are lots of different Marian prayers that have been written throughout the ages. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer? Yeah, the memorari, because when you look at the fact that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. So if that means never was it known, that means I have to be included in that category. <laughs> That's a line that always strikes me when I pray the memorari. Um, yep. When it comes to the rosary, some people find it difficult. They find it hard to engage. Uh, is there something that has helped you pray the rosary better that you can offer as a tip to listeners? Absolutely. Don't think of the rosary as a bunch of Hail Mary prayers, even though a bunch of Hail Marys are a beautiful thing. The rosary is intended to be uh, a meditation on Scripture, and this is why it's so important <clears throat> when we pray the rosary to meditate on the mysteries. The Hail Marys are just background music. They're like watching a great movie with a beautiful musical score. You're not focusing on the musical score, but the musical score adds to the plot and your attentiveness to the story. So if you're praying the rosary correctly, you're meditating on the mystery, but yet you're playing the beautiful background music of these Hail Marys. And those keep you guided. And remember, the power of the rosary, it's if you miss the mass, a weekday mass, what's the next best thing? Pray the rosary, because it's like meditation um, on the Word of God. It's like the liturgy of the Word, the first part of mass. And then pray the chaplet, because the chaplet is like the second part of the mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist, where you offer sacrifice. A lot of people say, how can I make a prayer, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. I can't offer that. Yes, you can. Why, Father? Because a priest offers sacrifice. Well, wait a minute, Father, I'm not a priest. Actually, yes, you are. By virtue of your baptism, you share in the three offices of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. Now, you're not a ministerial priest, but you share in the common priesthood. And the beautiful thing in that is you can offer sacrifice. So praying the rosaries like Liturgy of the Word, praying the chaplets like Liturgy of the Eucharist, make a spiritual communion, and beautifully, you've got the next best thing than att after attending daily Mass. That's great. I've heard that said before, and I've actually recommended that because of hearing it. I I've shared that with others, too. So, uh, Good. Good. How about a Marian Scripture passage as we meet Mary in the pages of Sacred Scripture? To, uh, what passage maybe uh, speaks the most uh, to you? Well, I would say... I would say the Magnificat, because we pray that every day in, in the breviary. I love it when Protestants 
I challenged Mary. I always say, well, you know, it's in Scripture, Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. So I always like to say, so why can't you? <laughs> sure. Oh, that's right. Uh, how about a favorite Marian apparition? Um, I would have to take Fatima since I've been there a couple times, but I'm very interested in the warnings of Akita uh, because I think there's a real application uh, to our time. Also, Our Lady of Good Success. Probably the two that have, um, I've turned to the most in my time of prayer are Our Lady of Good Success. And um, that one there is because it just had so many prophetic um, uh, elements to it. And Our Lady Endure of Knots uh, is probably my favorite because I've tied more knots than you can shake a stick at. And every time I seem to pray that, that novena, um, I, they seem to somehow get undone. So um, for me, all of them are beautiful, Fatima, uh, Akita, but the two I turn to the most are Our Lady and Doer of Knots and um, Our Lady of Good Success. Okay, and then when it comes to a Marian shrine, of course, apparition sites are shrines themselves, but there are devotional shrines to the Blessed Mother throughout our country and world. Is there a Marian shrine you visited that left an impression on you or one that you hope to go to one day? Yeah, in Champion, Wisconsin. Um, I think that is a beautiful visit because it's the only approved Marian apparition site in the United States. And it's a beautiful shrine. I know the Fathers of Mercy well. Uh, Father Don Brazard is the rector there and just a great community, great group of guys. And um, the, the only approved site of Marian apparition in the U.S. So a very beautiful place. A book that you would recommend about the Blessed Mother? Uh, I would have to say there's a couple, but True Devotion um, is the one that has affected so many people. Um, I think uh, that really, really brings a life um, and has changed so many hearts. Uh, you know, um, and of course, Brother Michael Gailey, um, you know, 33 Days of Morning Glory and Marian Consecration, uh, being my brother here in the community, I, I know that worked well, and, and that's also another beautiful um, resource. And lastly, when you celebrate a Mass on a Marian feast day, what song do you hope the choir will sing? Uh, we have the whole repertoire. If I could sing well, I would I would be able to say all of them, but I do not was not given that gift. As Father Larry said to me, God rest his soul, he said, you know, Father, Brother Chris, you really shouldn't be singing. I said, come on, Father. St. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. And Father Larry said, Father, or brother, he who sings well sings twi or prays twice. <laughs> and so, uh, so I always laugh, but no, all the Marian, Ave Maria is probably the most beautiful, I think, but all the Marian hymns uh, are, are, are beautiful that, that when you open your heart, you can be, uh, you can be moved. Well, again, Father, I thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and for You. And if people want to learn more about your ministry and learn more about the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, how can they do that? Yeah, please. Uh, we invite anybody to become, uh, by decree of the Holy See, um, we were given the gift of being a spiritual benefit society uh, called the Association of Marian Helpers. There is no cost. There is no, um, you know, there's no um, uh, necessarily um, obligation. It's just, if you want to share in our prayers and good works, just like if you were a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, you can, it takes less than 10 seconds, 
sign up and uh, no cost uh, at micprayers.com. Stands for Marians of the Immaculate Conception. And if you want to learn more before you do that, you can visit our website, thedivinemercy.org, and learn more who we are. And then finally, if I may, Father, the um, those who have lost anyone to suicide, if you would like to have them memorialized, again, no cost, but we have a website called suicideandhope.com that um, you can visit and you can enter in the name of your loved one. You don't have to put their full name. You can do a first name only or just initials or even a nickname. And I personally pray for each and every one of those names to set for them. And uh, I say the Mass for them every month. So if you'd like those graces for your lost loved one, please visit that site and um, have your loved one memorialized. Well, that's a great gift that you can offer these families that do mourn and do grieve, the gift of your prayers and the gift of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So thank you so much, Father, and uh, I hope that maybe we'll cross paths sometime soon and that we'll chat once again. Well, God bless you and God bless all in the Green Bay Diocese and in Wisconsin, and, um, and blessings to all of you, and may God keep you in His mercy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you don't mind, please leave a review of this podcast. Please rate it on Apple Podcasts on whatever platform you listen. Share this podcast also on your social media if you don't mind. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.